0: Ladies and gentlemen, good morning, good evening, good afternoon, where you are. I know you listen to my episode, my sound, before even start start with the introduction. I just want to tell you that uh, I just finished editing the episode. I'm so sorry for uploading it late because there was many issues with the technical issue during recording. There was a lot of technicality during recording. And now we have fear yeah, and cause of the software what we used to record remotely. And there was a little bit glitch during the body, you know, during editing the episode. I tried, to do, I tried to do the best, so it will fit you all. I know, I'm sorry. You will hear a little bit glitches, but fine. Already fixed, I can fix whatever I can fix. And I'm trying to next time to do a better Go for a better recording software. Thank you guys. Wishing you the best. Take care. Jump to the introduction. Let's go. Bye, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the civil engineering vibe podcast. Now, in this podcast, me and Dr. Kashwani, we like to speak about different topics and topics like what we want, for example, startup, entrepreneurship, new trend, mental health, and career and self improvement and civil energy and sometimes. Another thinking major. We like also to interview other people from other fields, so we like to get the expertise and how they can benefit us and benefit society. So let us jump to the episode and thank you guys and wishing you the best. Take care, bye, ladies and gentlemen. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon from where you are. In this episode, we speak with Mr. Mark Hergerbeck. He got He graduated from MIT with Bachelor degree, bachelor, then master degree in electrical and computer science as an engineer. Then he worked in a couple, couple different companies as CTO. If you know what's not CTO, this, this means chief technology officers. And during now, we work in different fields like as an instructor, member, and in different company like even he's an instructor in MIT. So last year, October 2020, he, book, he published a book called The Career Toolkit. Since he worked a couple of times at MIT, MIT and he worked together, so he wants get tips of how to engineer can improve his career tips. Because actually, to be honest, these things we never studied in high school or in college. Great episode. I hope you like it. Thank you. Go to the episode. Oh, I'm Mark, how are you? Can you introduce more to the audience about yourself?
1: Sure. Thanks for having me on today. To give you a brief overview of my background, I graduated from MIT back in the 90s with a couple degrees in physics, EECS, and a graduate degree focusing on cryptography. I started my career as a software engineer, but realized that to get where I wanted to go, to be a CTO, a chief technology officer, it wasn't just about good engineering skills there were all these other skills I needed that were never taught to me. Leadership, communication, negotiation, building a strong network, even how to interview and hire people. These are all things you need to do if you want to be an engineering leader, but they don't teach it to us in school. So I had to develop these skills in myself. And I realized these skills aren't just for those of us at the top of the hierarchy. They're not just for executives. These skills help everyone. So I've had a parallel career because as I started to train up people in my department, in my company, I couldn't find people with these skills. So I had to build these skills in people. Around the same time, MIT had gotten similar feedback saying, look, great engineers, but we really want to see these skills. This is what corporate America was saying to MIT. And so MIT wanted to start a similar type of program developing these skills in our students. I heard about it reached out to them, said, well, I've been working on this for a little while. Can I be of help? I said, sure, please share with us what you know. Then they asked me to come help teach the class. And so for the past 20 years, I've been teaching these skills at MIT and elsewhere. And that, of course, led to the book.
2: Um, Mark, could you tell us more about the... Career coaching and career education, why it is so important for engineers and maybe for young engineers? And these things have not been um, introduced in the curriculum of education. So how we can emit these two elements for, the uh, for the young engineer and how it will help them to flourish in their career?
1: Good question. And unfortunately, high school and college, for historical reasons, have not taught these skills. And that's unfortunate. I think it's going to be another couple decades before they are incorporated. So why does this matter? Well, let's use a basic analogy. We're going to do a tiny bit of math here. Let's think back to sixth grade math. Suppose you think that's four by ten and you have to increase one of the sides by two units and you want to maximize the area. What side do you increase the short side or the long side? Now, I'm sure all your listeners who are fantastic engineers all know, yep, okay, I remember this. We increase the short side. We go from four units to six units. That gives us a total of 60. Okay, great. So what does this have to do with our careers? What happens when you're increasing that short side? Conceptually, you're taking those extra two units, and you're multiplying it by those 10 units, by that long side, right? And that's how you get a better return. Those two units amplify... The long side. If you put on the long side, those two units are only amplifying the short side. Now, all of us have short sides. Realistically, more than two, but we're just looking at two for this. Our long side might be our ability to do civil engineering or another type of work. Maybe it's accounting. Maybe it's sales. That's our long side. That's our competency. But what's our short side? We might not be as good at being a leader. We might not be as good at public speaking or about being an effective teammate, or about hiring other people for our team as we get more senior. Those are our short sides. And now we all have to continue focusing on our long side, right? Engineering continues to progress forward. There are new tools and techniques, and we have to stay abreast of them. But the ROI you get when you've been working as an engineer for 10, 15, 20 years, the ROI that you get by putting another 5 hours, 10 hours into learning more engineering is pretty tiny. But if you put that ROI into a skill where you're not as strong, leadership, negotiating, building a better network, that's going to have a much better return. It's going to lead to more opportunities. It's going to lead to better engagement and being more effective at work. Right? That brilliant engineer who can't communicate his ideas to other people isn't going very far in his career. So if he spent a little more time on his communication skills, his brilliant engineering would have a much bigger reach. And so all of us need to focus, yes, on our long sides. We have to keep up with engineering and the new changes. But we also need to focus on some of these short sides to maximize the return.
2: Uh, So, Mark, you know, there is also a famous example about uh, Edison and Tesla, where both of them are, great engineer, yet Tesla, you know, he was a greater engineer in terms of knowledge, but his communication skills, his entrepreneurship skills was not matching with Edison. And um, these things that we really want to teach uh, our engineering students, you know, um, like for me all the way from bachelor to PEZ, I never ever uh, have a course about PEZ, about the entrepreneurship in engineering, the skills how to create a content, you know? So these things um, we are missing in our curriculum, even in, when we go for professional engineering, a chartered engineer, or PE, they don't consider this element. And I, I think it is a core uh, core element that should be considered, you know? Uh, for example, how to market you, the branding, marketing your idea. And there is a famous article called where scientists are bad Entrepreneur uh, entrepreneurs. So as engineers, um, mentorship entrepreneurship these things how how we can become the next norm uh, for us as engineer that well yes i did my technical aspects now the next phase is to work on these things how how become it become a so uh, uh, by default i mean it is by default system that we follow this path
1: yeah and I, again it's for historical reasons that they aren't taught to us and i'm glad you're recognizing this that all of us whether you're in a big company, small company, solopreneur, all of us benefit from these skills. So let's think about how you can develop these skills. We have traditionally learned by sitting in a classroom and the professor stands at the front. The professor says, okay, here's the, here's the formula for shear force, right? Here's the algorithm for you know, figuring out optimization of uh, flow. That and then apply it. And that's great for that type of learning. But that's really information transfer when it comes to these skills there is not as simple a process you can't simply memorize a formula and be a good leader there's no simple algorithm for networking so we have to take a different approach in how we want to learn these skills the way we teach it at mit and the way it's taught at top business schools is to form a peer learning group so if these skills find a group six eight people If your company isn't supportive of this, if you can't find people there, find peers you know elsewhere, friends of yours, start a local meetup group, an alumni group, however you want to do it. Find a group of a handful of people who all want to develop these skills. Then what you can do is you can take a source of content. So for example, you can take my book and you can chop up into little pieces, sections of a chapter. As you read each chapter, you want to discuss it with other people. You want to talk about examples from your life, from their life, because it's in this discussion that you're going to hear, oh, I had a challenge like this once, and here's how I approached it. It kind of worked, but maybe not fully. And then one of you says, oh, well, you know, I would have approached it this way. I would have done this. I say, oh, wow, what a great idea, right? And we're going to learn from each other's experience, from each other's examples. Now, this might sound like a ploy. I'm saying, oh. Great, get a bunch of people and all of you read my book. Here's the secret. You don't need my book to do this. You can use any book you want on leadership or communication or any of these skills. You can use any source. You can use articles. You can use videos. You can use a great podcast like this one. So take your peer group, listen to this podcast every week, and discuss this podcast. The key thing is that you want that source of content, but in that discussion, that you really get that valuable knowledge. And that's how you're going to best learn these skills.
0: So my next question is about, because since you bring the podcast and the new media, like YouTube, online course and everything, an engineer in order to enhance his career, to go rather because for me, I believe the education system is similar to medieval. Like it has been since the old, rigid from second industrial revolution and need to be refurbished. This is my personal opinion. So can you believe that like social media or for example, podcasts or a YouTube on online course is a better way than the old way, like going to online class and that's it or just we have to stick, we can use comprehension of them.
1: So I agree with you completely. College education is literally medieval. If you look at the history of education, the modern university system began roughly in the 12th century. They were formed around libraries uh, in in Europe. And you had these books, right? Books were really rare. People flocked to the books, the privileged elite, and they started studying them. And they said, well, we are the keepers of this information. And if you want to come along and get that degree, you have to jump through. But by the way, if you think about that, so you have a civil engineering degree what happened? You went to school, and a bunch of more senior civil engineers, people with PhDs, said, Well, if you want to be designated a civil engineer, you have to learn this much knowledge. You have to take these sets of classes, taken enough, then we'll say you're a civil engineer, right? Same thing with the test. If you want to become a professional engineer, okay, there's an additional set of learning you might have. But all of this, all it's saying is you have sufficient knowledge. You figure out, how, you know how to build a bridge that can support a certain load without collapsing. That's all they're saying. They're not saying you're a good employee. They're not saying you're a good teammate. They're not saying a company should hire you. They're just saying you know this much knowledge. That's it. That's necessary but not sufficient. Now, to your question about online learning, I think there are some pros and cons to social media and online learning. Certainly, online learning has democratized certain types of knowledge. And MIT, by the way, pioneered this with some of the first online courses that then became EDX because we said, look, we don't have some secret formula that only MIT people should know. We want to get out to people all around the world, many of whom would never be able to attend MIT. However, the reason we did this is we said, it's not just the knowledge we have. It's not just these formulas that make MIT special. Because if we give the formula to everyone, are they going to say, oh, well, why should I pay tuition at MIT? I can just get online for free. That is only part of the education you get at MIT or other universities. And so it's that engagement, that experience of learning from other people. It's the experience of working in the labs, having access to resources. That is not as easy to replicate online. So I think it's wonderful that we have this. But we have to recognize it is not a complete replacement for the modern experience.
2: So it is the environment, if I can summarize it is You are the product of your environment, you know. I'm reading, up. you know, there is a lot of debate between nature versus nurture. You know, I always believe it is not the knowledge, it is, I mean... The engineering, the Bernoulli equation, it is the same in the MIT, it is the same in any universe in the world. But it's the environment, the engagement that with the people. You mentioned about the peer group learning, you know, it is the mindset that you sit together, you know. So it is the vibes, we are talking about civil engineering, but it is the vibes that you align with it. So, yeah, I totally agree with that point, that we need to create this environment uh, or the circle that you surround that... Care about continuous per uh professional development. You know the CBD. It is. I I usually say it is mindset that you need to develop you, uh, yourself. Not only the technical aspect, and the leadership, and there is no um, certainly there is no finish line. You know, and people they think there is finish line. Yes, maybe after certain years you are capable to get a bachelor degree in civil engineering and they are capable to design a bridge, um, a cantilever, but yet there is always area to improve. There is a lot of area to to flourish, and especially when it comes for communication, um, leadership. You know, I'm, I did read a lot of John Maxwell books, Jack w- w- Wellish and I said, why they didn't teach us these things while we are in the education system? So maybe my question, next question, that can we create an ecosystem that? Uh, yeah, we can create an environmental circle. But what about an ecosystem inside the university, maybe inside a society, for example? Uh, now, most of the university they have occupations. Uh, but why we can't create an, um, an ecosystem even in the private, public sector, in the third sector? Also, all these things, we can create the ecosystem.
1: I think we're going to start to do that. But you're right that we haven't. And if you look at, for example, entrepreneurship, I'm going to take MIT as an example. Back during the 1990s, MIT wasn't the entrepreneurship powerhouse that is today. It certainly had a fair amount, but entrepreneurship in general wasn't as common in the early 90s. right? The idea of a startup company, those were few and far between. And there were concepts at MIT like networking when I was there was a dirty word. We didn't believe in networking. We believed in people doing their best. We were very egalitarian, right? Very much a meritocracy that the smartest people should rise to the top. And getting somewhere because of your network, that, that felt wrong. Now, as entrepreneurship started to flourish around MIT, which led it in the Boston area and really on the East Coast and Stanford University on the West Coast, really led these communities And the early folks, we didn't have a lot of people we could turn to, but as we gained more experience, we started to provide a roadmap for the younger entrepreneurs, right? And you had angel investors who started to become experienced, give guidance to the younger investors. You had communities, you had groups of would-be founders who would show up and they'd hear stories from other founders. And eventually we kind of created these ecosystems, typically around major cities, and now, of course. With uh, online access, they've become a lot more global. These ecosystems that those of us with experience can help guide the way for the next generation. To your point, we have not yet done that with these other skills. We see pockets of it. We certainly see areas. There are leadership training courses. There are people who specialize in certain areas. But we don't have organizations the way we do for entrepreneurship and I think it's something we need to start. And to anyone listening out there, don't wait for someone else to do it. You can start it. And here's the secret about starting a group. You don't have to be the expert. You might be saying, well, wait, I have to learn this stuff. How can I start the group? You can start it. You don't have to teach it all, right? You can say, I'm going to start this group, developing these professional skills within my community, whether that's your particular uh, career, whether that's your geography, whether it's a combination of both, you're going to start this professional development group within your community. And that just means you're going to find a, a time for everyone to get together, maybe a physical space when we're back together, and bring in speakers and bring in people. And those speakers, by the way, could be people from that community. Say, let's have someone talk about how leadership was critical on a project let's have someone talk about negotiations and how we can learn more about negotiations so just bring these folks in and you can learn along with everyone else so don't wait for someone else to create these communities start it yourself today
2: so so mark could we use example of spacex and elon musk what he did you know the audacity of elon musk to challenged the whole world and he did you know nobody believed in him as you said he was learning curve he failed many times and he gamble all what he has, but he was believing what he was doing, and then he became a trend. So maybe this is one of the modern examples that I usually give um, the, my students about it, that uh, you need to believe in yourself, that as as an engineer, and not to follow the conventional wisdom that we need to do this, follow the path. You know uh, we are dreamer in the end of the day as engineer, but sometimes as engineer we like, as you said, to follow formula or algorithm. And um, this area of leadership communication, there is, it is mostly in gray area, there is no certain formula. And this is the thing that, you know, they said, well, I will go to my engineering niche, it's more safety for me. And they are um, not following their dreams because they don't want to take the leap of faith. So we, we need to take this risk, you know, because the change this is the only constant.
1: I think we all fall on a spectrum arguably many spectrums in terms of level of risk that we're willing to take, ways that we're willing to push ourselves. Some people really just want that, put me in the cubicle. I want that stable, steady job, right? Put me in Schlumberger or some other large organization where I know they've got money, they're going to be around for a while. Other people are closer to Elon Musk where they say, I'm going to bet everything, and when I win, I'm going to bet everything again. And this is something very important to understand about yourself. In chapter one of my book, I talk about creating a career plan. And you have to remember, this is your life. You're going to get lots of advice, advice from friends and family, from your professors, from career coaches, from people like us. And we're all going to give you this advice, but it is your life. And you have to adjust all the advice you get to what is most appropriate for you. So how much risk you want to take, how much you want to push yourself in this direction. If you're saying, look, I sit in a nice warm cubicle and I'm comfortable there and I know I can ride out for 20 years and I really don't want to learn these other skills. They make me uncomfortable. I'm just, no, I don't want. Okay, sit in that cubicle, collect your paycheck and be happy. And I am happy for you. I'm not going to say it's wrong not to learn these skills. It's right to do what is comfortable and best for you. But for those who say, you know, I want something more, push yourself, push yourself in developing these skills, push yourself into taking calculated chances at work to try and develop yourself in new directions towards the goal you set for yourself. So always begin with what is right for you.
0: So what about, for example, since you mentioned about mentorship or career coach, so if you sit like at the end, it's up to you. So what we can take from the career coach or from any other resource? Because I know some entrepreneurs, we never, not even finished a college. As we said, now in the a there are Mark Zuckerberg and there is Bill Gates and it's a long list. We can go all over the, all the end of the road. So what we can take from the knowledge, especially as we, and you, we understand that we cannot take 10% from education, from the knowledge that get from education. So or I, from actually
1: inter- gi- I, I actually give that example, right? We, we've seen, you know, Zuckerberg, Gates, Uh, Will Smith and Michael J. Fox in acting, long list of people who never went to college or dropped out very quickly. Now, if you had a niece or nephew who was 12 years old and I said, should I go to college? Your answer would be yes, right? In general, we know statistically you are much better off with a college degree. And for 95% of the population, 99% of the population who are considering university, University is probably the right choice. We, as the uncle, can't always tell if you're that 1% or 0.001% who would do better dropping out, right? This is one of those innate things. And we're all going to get advice like this. So we're using college. You hear things like, oh, you have to get a master's degree or you have to get an MBA, or it's really important that you get experience at a big company or small company or whatever. They're going to give you all this advice. And it is good advice. It is advice that works 99% of the time, right? Or whatever, whatever it is in that field. You have to decide for yourself if you are that 1%, if there's something unique in those circumstances. Now, with Bill Gates, for example, what most people don't know as he dropped out to build the system and he wanted to sell to IBM it turns out his mother was on i believe it was a nonprofit board with the ceo of IBM so she could call you know 20 year old dropout uh wants to go sell you some software and IBM took that meeting right if he didn't have that connection and he just called up IBM back in the 70s and said, hi, I'm some guy you've never heard of. I'm a college dropout. But let me tell you one of the largest, most respective companies in the world, what the future is and why you want to license my software. They probably never would have taken the meeting, right? So he happened to have this great inside track. Now, maybe you have an inside track or maybe you are a super genius, whatever it is that makes you special and makes the rules not quite as applicable to you but the advice you get from people like us, from third parties who don't know you as well, we're giving that general advice and don't always take that into account. Uh,
2: so, so Mark, usually they say that it is not how good you are in the game, it is how you play the game, you know? And, um, and this connection or the networking, especially if you know people inside, definitely, you know, uh, you, you need this healthy balance between your technical qualities about uh, your um, continuous improvement and definitely your networking. And um, there is a famous book called Connected, and it shows that uh, there is certain limits. Sometimes leaders, they become more influenced and they have more impact because of they contact. And it works like a ripple effect or snowball effect. And this is what we need exactly uh, to inspire people as civil engineers, you know. Um, we, we want to inspire people. Uh, yet, one of the main challenges when it comes for the... The networking, as you mentioned, that we don't know how to, how to do the net, healthy networking. We may not have been trained in the university, even in the work um, evaluation. Usually, most of the organization they evaluate us as engineer, as individual. I never saw evaluation as a group, as a team, and this is um, and, and this is why happened in the organization. You know, people. Um, they they don't think for the greater good or the collective good for the team because in the end of the day, the bonus will be uh, allocated in the individual performance. And this is what I think we need now. To, so the organization behavior, um, I, I like this area that organization, they need to change this evaluation that I, I need to appreciate... Um, the team more, the effort of the team, the connection, and this is, um, I think, um, a good calling for the organization, especially engineering uh, organization, that they should put these features, the leadership, the communication, the networking, and the team effort, so that now it becomes, um, even the people who are sitting in the cubicle and the focus, uh, only they are happy with that, they will consider these features so that it is, will become a tool that to improve their life in general.
1: Yeah, you're, you brought up a number of really great points. Uh, so let's first talk about incentives. And it reminds me, there is an old joke about a Soviet nail factory. And it, I'm sure it's apocryphal. And in this story, uh, the headquarters back in Moscow said, okay, we're going to judge all of the nail factories based on the number of units they produce. So nail factory thought about this and said, well, we're going to produce tiny little finishing nails, right? The smallest nail possible because we can crank those out. And so they produced millions and millions of finishing nails in the next month and said, look, we did a great job. We produced all these nails and Moscow thought about it and said, well, okay, you did, but we really don't need that many finishing nails. Okay. Bad metric. So we're going to instead evaluate you based on the total tonnage of output. So the factory managers thought about it and said, oh, we're going to produce railroad ties, right? These are the biggest nails that we can produce. So they produced a whole bunch of railroad ties the next month, right? And what happens? Moscow looks and says, oh, okay, well, yeah, I guess that did meet the requirement, but we don't need those either, right? So what was happening is they were saying a requirement. That requirement was a proxy for their need. And so you got a misalignment to the goal. As you're pointing out, we get a misalignment of workers sometimes, right? And this is actually far more common uh, throughout our organizations. There's a wonderful book by Peter Senge called The Fifth Discipline. And The Fifth Discipline is really his term for operations research, for system dynamics, right? Which is, I think, a really important field to understand in that we have to align goals correctly because we as humans focus on our goal. If that goal doesn't align to the future goal, well, then we have a problem, right? People sub-optimize. And in fact, we see this sometimes at work, particularly with corporate politics. You know, the three of us aren't going to help move the company forward, get more sales, do something good for the company. But, you know, if I see a way that uh, this might not be good for the project, it might even hurt the project, but it's going to make me look great. Okay, I'm going to do that, right? And that's going to hurt the company overall, but it makes me look better, gets me the promotion, Well, I am now incentivized to do that, right? Even to the detriment of the company. So in that case, you have misaligned values. Now, for a large organization, it is very hard to do that, right? Uh, You have 2,000 people, multiple projects. It's hard to do this universally. But certainly any good manager should look at her team and say, let me figure out what the team needs to do and how I incentivize people for the team to work together. That can be done in different ways. Some ways might say, you know, there's a component of your bonus, your individual bonus, that's not just about how good you were at coming up with the right calculations, but how much you helped your peers. In fact, some called a 360 review, that's 360 because you have the above, your boss. You also have your peers, the people who you help. They might be in your department or others. And then even your subordinates, if you're at a certain level, because all of these people are people you saying you're not engaging with me as effectively as you could, something's wrong. So that's one way they're trying to address it. It's imperfect, but you're absolutely right. We have to really think about aligning the goals of the organization or department or team to the goals of the individual.
0: I have one extra question since we began to the goal and perspective. Unfortunately, what I see most of the company going, what about the company? But they don't go, what about the person or the employee from himself? So what I see many in the company they are sitting what is only, only for the company. For example, but sometimes personality of each person are not 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 aligned with the with the company, with the company objective goal. So how about for example to have like person, more personalized tests for each individual? So can meet tested For example, you can have introvert people, you can have extrovert people. Introvert people can benefit the company somehow, but in a different way and extrovert can Different this way. But unfortunately, this is my opinion. When I saw many of the company, even once at 360, they are doing only for the business. But this is not it's only one way. There is no two way. So should we have like a two-way approach instead of having it one way?
1: Great, great point. And this is something I talk about in the book, that we all have different styles. So I talk about first different motivation styles. We're all motivated by different things. Right? There's a joke one of my VP of sales once told me that salespeople are coin-operated, right? They're incentivized only by money, right? And salespeople, of course, traditionally have a low base and then it's just sell, sell, sell. You want more money? Go sell more products or services, right? And if you're not motivated by money, sales might not be the right area for you because that's the primary motivator across most types of sales. Most engineers I know, if you say, look, I'm going to pay you $100,000, ooh, but if you do a really good job, you're going to get, you know, a $3000 bonus. You know, by the time you get to that level, you're saying, "Okay, 3000, I mean, it's nice. I like the money, but engineers typically aren't motivated by a couple thousand dollars more. They're often motivated by just doing a good job. They're motivated by an interesting challenge, right? By learning something new. That's more important than money." Now, for various reasons, companies have to be careful about, well, we can't give money to these folks and something that we're going to call challenge to someone else because then it looks like you have different standards. But we have to recognize individuals have different types of motivations. And a good manager should understand the motivations of everyone in his or her team. And by the way, a good teammate, even if you're not a manager, understanding what motivates your peers is very important because you might not be a manager saying, hey, I need you to go work on this. But you are definitely working with people and saying, hey, can you work on this and I'll work on that and we'll get this done together. Now, I also talk about in the book uh, personality assessments. Now, these are not tests. These are assessments. Most people are familiar with Myers-Briggs. There's also, I talk about a uh, Herman Brain Dominance instrument. There's DISC. There's OCEAN, also known as the five-factor model. There's all these different ones out there. And they tell us things. You brought up introversion versus extroversion. That's a very common one that I believe they all measure. How introvert or extrovert are you? And recognizing that you might be an extrovert, I happen to be an introvert. Okay, we're going to engage differently. And if I am more quiet at the meetings, that's not because I'm not trying to participate, right? I have a different approach. And so once we recognize that, how you might engage with me, will be different. And here, I'll give you a specific example around introversion, extroversion. Brainstorming, it's something we all probably do at some point. Like, okay, everyone, brainstorm, quick. I'm going to stand at the board, shout out your ideas. And the extroverts start shouting, shouting, shouting. And the introverts are going, wait, no, I just need to think. But there's all this shouting, right? All this talking. I need the quiet time to focus. So one technique that I use when we do brainstorming, I say, okay, we're going to brainstorm, hand out three by five cards, and say, everyone, we're going to take five minutes, write down all your ideas on a three-by-five card. So now the introverts can sit there quietly and think and reflect. The extroverts can still write down as fast as they can come up with ideas on the cards. And this gave everyone a chance to have that quiet reflection time. Then we say, okay, five minutes is up. Now let's start, you know, everyone starts saying your ideas, right? And they start shouting it out and what's on the cards. And so both styles get a chance to participate in a way that works for them. And so you can do this with, we just picked introversion, extroversion. You can do this with a whole bunch of different attributes to make sure you engage people in the way they best think or behave.
0: One more question I want to ask regarding about career education and career concept. I understand most of the people like we have to do it from university. However, we forget one more school. I believe in my opinion, it is my personal opinion, from school and from home, how to educate education, how to start raising it from a young age. Unfortunately, what I see this day, like, we many, like, many people, like, many fresh high school graduate, once they're going to go to the high college graduate, I tell half of them, what do you want to do? You will say, like, I don't know, literally. And, uh, so, because that's the reason, like, shall we have more about this from high school first? Because I believe, th- I believe it's a career education and career skills shall be taught from school, from a younger age. Because unfortunately, from from to be honest, like this is my personal opinion, like the same system has been teaching at the university after the school. It's the same I say I call it the copy paste system. Like whatever there happened, it happened there. So because even I remind like one of my friends, his son, he was teaching him the periodic table, like the multiplication table, mass multiplication table. He said that what I have to do, I can't just call Siri. And they're gonna give me the answer within a second. Just I can't call Siri, like I can't give it with a second. Like, why I have to memorize it? Like, for example, I remember he was doing the zooming exam. Like he said to spell independent. He said, Okay, you want to be independent? He's Siri. Spell me independent. <laughs> <laughs> like I was like that laughing, I was laughing so hard. Because they told me why I have to to near the spinning for independent or the periodic table, since I have a Siri, I have Google, can do everything for me. And that time, even his dad couldn't answer the question, the answer, because we me and, me and him, we know the answer, but we cannot give it to him in order to not motivate him to study. So shall education shall be taught from school and from early stage?
1: So you're bringing up a, a great point about the problem with earlier education. Look back, at least in the U.S. system, education goes back about 150 years. Prior to that, you didn't need education. Boys learn to work on the farm from their dad. Girls learn to cook and clean and sew from their mom. And that was sufficient. It was only when we started to industrialize and we need people in the factories that they had to have some basic reading, writing, arithmetic. And so we sent people to school and said, you have to learn these basic skills for factory work and later just for being in society, right? If you can't read a stop sign, well, then you can't drive a car. So we better teach you literacy. So that was really the goal of primary and secondary education. It's expanded over the years, but to your point, it's a lot of base memorization. And I do think there is some value to that. Now, certainly memorizing multiplication tables, you know, back in the 1950s when calculators came out, they said, why are we teaching math to kids? Because they will always have a calculator. But we are all better off understanding the basics of math. Right. Being able to look at, for example, a proposal uh, by a political candidate who says, we're going to do this bond offering. And all of us who understand math can say, oh, well, look, you're talking about a 6% interest rate, and this is what's going to be over so much time. Is that really worth it, especially compared to how much this is going to generate in revenue? Right. And if you don't memorize the multiplication table, if you haven't done basic math, you just can't intuitively do that kind of thing. Memorizing the whole periodic table. I don't know if there's value in that. The different, um, electron shells, there's some value in getting that base understanding. Now we do need to go beyond what we teach to get some of these other skills. I think we should be teaching some leadership, some negotiation, some networking, communication. These skills should start. We should start to address these skills in high school. And to your point about careers, here's how we do it wrong because schools have career day and they say, oh, we're bringing in Johnny's dad and he's a doctor, right? We're bringing in, you know, Sarah's mom and she's a lawyer. And they stand and say, I'm a doctor. I help save lives. I'm a lawyer. I sue people in court. And we like, okay, yeah, I don't know. That sounds interesting. But really what we learn from that is not what the job is really like, right? You know, if you say you're a civil engineer and you go into the school and you say, hey, kids, I build roadways and dams and bridges and airports and go, Oh, that's cool. And you show them a picture of a big dam or some new shiny airport. They go, Oh, that seems cool. But what they don't know is that it means you're spending lots of time probably, you know, in a cubicle doing lots of complex calculations. And it's sometimes working on, you know, drafting designs, right? Sometimes working on solving complex, uh, flow. So that's the part they don't see. And what we really want to teach students are the components of careers, right? Saying my job spends a lot of time doing solo work. My job spends a lot of time going out into the field. I'm only in the office one day a week, so I travel a lot. My job involves meeting new people. My job is a three-year-long project, as opposed to this person who does projects that are three weeks long. And students can start to say, I like the idea of big projects or small projects. I like the idea of a nine-to-five job where I show up in the same place versus I want to be on the road. And once they start to recognize what attributes they might like, they can start to say, what are the jobs that have these attributes instead of, well, a civil engineer never came to my high school, so engineering was an option. So I think that's how we need to teach it to folks. I will also note that education should not simply be, high school finishing at 18, college at 22, and you're done for life. We need to recognize you will have multiple changes throughout your career, and we need an education system where you regularly go back every 10, 12 years, not for four years, but maybe for three, six, 12 months for some intensive retraining, part-time or full-time, to kind of continue to grow and pivot in your career.
2: So Mark, um... I just want to highlight my last point here that, as you mentioned, the career day, people just focus on the product. As you said, they, they show the, uh, the structure, the big uh, high-rise buildings, the dance, but they don't share the journey. It is I usually say it is the journey and the destination, the challenge in the journey. And this is what we need to show because in the challenge... You grow. The growth happens in the challenge, you know. So you need to learn how do the communication, and this is what we say as a civil engineer. I share with my my colleague, and even with sometimes you know my um, niece and nephew, uh, they ask me about it. I said, uh, "We need to show the challenge because this is what you'll face it. You know, the product is the end result." And my question here: Can the family, I mean, uh, play part of it to change this mindset? Uh, or we just rely on the uh, curriculum of the high school and university. Can the family in the home, the parents, because the parents, I believe, are the first leaders that the, the children they are facing. Can the parents play a role in that to shape this mindset?
1: Absolutely. They can and should. Now, I was very lucky that my parents taught me always to ask questions, always to understand. When they saw I was interested in STEM areas, they encouraged that. They took me to science museums. They took me to, I used to go to uh, the Princeton plasma physics labs every Saturday morning. They had some type of science talk and my dad would wake up early on his, on his weekends and drive me over to take me to his lectures. Parents absolutely can encourage this. Now we can't simply rely on parents. Because in some cases, now I was fortunate, and my my father happens to be a doctor, so he's an educated person. He obviously has some science background to be in medicine. Not all parents have the domain knowledge for the area of interest of their children. They might not know how to encourage it. And if you, I encourage you to encourage your children, if you don't know the field, read up on it, listen to podcasts on it, go find someone in your network who knows this area, And have your son or daughter talk to this person and learn, right? Open the doors because your child doesn't even know those doors exist, let alone to open them. So you're going to have to walk them to the door, open the door for them and help them. If you do have those skills or knowledge, please do it yourself. And hopefully within a few generations, we'll have developed this becomes the norm. If we think back a couple hundred years, parents taught their children social norms. Right. They whether it's here's how to for the upper class, here's how to use silverware properly and bow to the queen or whatever that culture particularly uh, encouraged. It's things like foods and behaviors, learning how to cook, you know, traditional recipe or engage in certain games or seasonal activities that happen to come from your culture. Parents teach all of this and we have for centuries. But we haven't taught those professional skills because, again, historically, once we left the farm, once we went out of, you just followed in whatever your father did, or women, unfortunately, were just told, do what your mom did, we didn't have that kind of setup to say, let's teach them other areas. So we have to develop that culturally. But I think once we do, this can become the norm. And to your point, it absolutely should.
0: To be honest, I resonate with most what you say about that because... To be honest, there should be some, you should go and work and do something. Because to be honest, in my experience, when I started civil engineer, I didn't know what what means engineering at the beginning. I was just nerd. I love math and science. I love science and I was a nerd. So I said I want to go engineer because the things were about that engineering at that time. So I have a question, like regarding career and this, as we said, like from parents cannot teach, cannot Parents cannot educate what what you sent want. I agree with that because to be honest, only only what is inside you, you wouldn't know what happened. Because if you should go to expert, because this is my experience, no one in my family is an engineer. I'm the only one in the family who's an engineer. So I'm the I'm the maybe the one in the last one in the family. So so one more thing, we go back to the saying that at least you should be the programming shall be like education every ten to twelve year with some intensive course. Because what I this is personal opinion usually I suggest I people do not go university immediately because we have this tendency, especially in the Middle East, you graduate in May, you go in September to the university directly. I don't know, take a break, do what you want, work internship in fellowship and some, if you if you found some internship, so you will know what you you need for the future, whether you can be an engineer or sales or whatever you want. So do you believe the education shall be similar like inter- like a, what you call in the UK, apprentices or co-op programs rather than full-time?
1: I am in in favor of that. I think that's great. Now, it really is different for different people because we all know someone who at age five, she said, I want to be a doctor. This is my dream. And then she just went on that path and became a doctor, right? And she loves it. And she just knew from a young age, this is what she wanted. But we're not all like that. So for some people, yeah, go. This is your dream. You're very clear on it. Go pursue it as fast as you can. I think it should also be normal for someone to say, you know what, I'm going to delay a year or two for university. I think that might be something we want to make more common, to your point, because not everyone knows what they want to do. And here I'll give a very common example. If you ask someone, was a lawyer do?" I think everyone can answer that question. Now, if you ask this to a 16-year-old, for example, everyone has seen a lawyer on TV right? Everyone has seen some, whatever the popular lawyer show is for this generation. Law and order, right? There we go. Law and order. Um, we see lawyers all the time. You see them in movies, TV, and you're like, oh, what do you do? Well, they go to court and they cross-interrogate the witness. And you know it's really exciting. And how do you catch a, the bad guy? Or how do you entrap the, the person in a civil suit? But if you ask a lawyer, most lawyers, what they do, Most will tell you, I have never seen the inside of a courtroom, right? Or it's really rare. Most lawyers actually sit in their office by themselves. They used to pour over law books. Now, of course, it's all online, but they're pouring through past case law or they're redlining contracts. It is a solo activity they do sing in their office. And if you grow up saying, yeah, I want to be on Law & Order, you know, I want to catch the bad guy or I want to be Tom Cruise shouting, you can't handle the truth. Actually, that was Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson, yeah that's not your experience most likely if you go but we thought it was and that goes to your point that you you see that end product right you see the excitement in the courtroom you don't see the 3 months of preparation it took to get into the courtroom and so that's what we really have to expose potential uh people who are potentially interested in the career to here's what it's like day to day which to your point if you're doing a co-op if you're doing an internship uh, something we started at MIT was Even these brief externships during our January intercession, you basically go and shadow someone. It's only a month. You're not really expected to do much work. It's only a month's worth of time. But you kind of follow the person around for a month and you see, what is it like day to day? Oh, look, this lawyer is just sitting at her desk reading for 10 hours a day. I haven't seen the courtroom yet. Okay, this isn't what I thought it would be. So that's what we need to expose people to.
0: First of all, I have a friend, a colleague who left the law firm because of that, because he was just sitting when he started working said, at the beginning, you know, he was seeming like what he can kind of say. He can kind of say, I object and start, you know, start, start talking to the law. But when he starts going, searching to the internet, most of all, he was like searching to the internet, began spending five hours reading some laws and some contracts. And he said, no, this is what I know. Just reading some contract like an AI can do it. So I have uh, one more question, like. In the career toolbox, like the reason but because in the career toolbox, like if some like can it has be one person or can be can have people shall read more multiplication book, not only the career book, like multiple books for career. Because not it's not everyone cup of tea, to be you know.
1: Yeah. And one thing I do uh in the career toolkit is I reference another roughly two dozen books right? In different areas. You might not like my style of writing. You might just think my advice is bad, but the area you want to learn is still important, whether or not you like how I do it. And so I reference a bunch of books. And these books, by the way, are all listed on the website. So you don't even have to buy the book to find them. You can go right to the website and go look up the books and say, okay, you know what? Forget Mark's book. I'm just going to go right to the source material." Or look, go to your favorite bookstore online or physical and just look at what are the most popular books on a topic. So I, my book is not the be all end all, right? I don't claim you read my book done. The book is a starting point. And in fact, you know, if you think about it, I have 10 chapters on 10 different topics. There are entire books just on networking, just on negotiations, just on leadership. So the. Benefit of my book is, first, these skills all really do combine because good leaders know how to, negotiators know how to communicate. So it looks at how these skills interplay with each other. But also the other thing I try to do in my book, and this comes from the years of teaching, is to change your mindset. So many people say, oh, I don't like networking. I'm an introvert. You know, that's it. I, I won't even bother reading a book on networking. It's not for me. And when you read my book, each chapter has this kind of mental shift in how to approach this process. So for networking, you're right. Walking into a room of 100 people and trying to collect 15 business cards, yeah, that's not going to work if you're an introvert. But when you think of networking, not as how do I get business cards the next hour, but how do I build relationships, which can happen one-on-one? How do, okay, I met you, it was a big event, I wasn't comfortable but now let's go sit down for coffee and let me meet you one-on-one in a more comfortable environment for me. Okay. That's how you can build your network because networking is not about collecting business cards. It's about building relationships and that takes time, but all of us have friends. All of us know how to build a relationship. And so you get that mental shift as you approach each of the topics. And I have a whole bunch of tips and techniques. Here's how mechanically you can go about doing it. But after you do that at the end of each chapter, I have a section called Summary and Next Steps. So I summarize what we covered in the chapter, but then I talk about next steps to continue to develop because absolutely there is more you can learn about each of these topics. So start with my book if you like. If you don't like my book, jump ahead to the books I reference or any other book you like, but most importantly, develop these skills.
0: Wow, fantastic. Really appreciate it. Very fantastic. It is a great talk with you, Mr. Mark. So any final thoughts from your
1: side? remember to build those peer learning groups because this is really how you're going to learn. That's even more important than my book or any other book. It's really these peer discussions. And if you want to figure out how best to do it, you can go to my website, thecareertoolkitbook.com. And there, of course, you can get in touch with me, you can learn more about the book. On the resources page on the website, you can download a guide, the professional development guide, for how you can create these peer development, uh, these peer learning groups within your organization or on your own. You can see the other books I mentioned. I link to a whole bunch of other online resources. These are all free resources to help you. There's also a link to the free app, and that contains a lot of the content from the book. So all of this you can find on the website, thecareertoolkitbook.com.
0: Very appreciate. Thank you. Because to be honest, it was so resonating. We resonate with all what you say. Fantastic fantastic talk about career and this actually to be shall, shall be election university shall be a lecture for any new student and new injury who can come the market into the new field thank you really appreciate for that
1: yeah thank you guys for having me on today
0: thank you take care bye bye wow what a great episode yeah great great talk and great, great you know Great talk, especially in career enhancement and everything in the career, how career advisement, how career shall be changed and shall be reformed and shall be educated and shall be changed and how university made on old system which comes now and convinced. Even with you go short or everything, still like they are working the old system and shall be she shall be modified like she shall this skill shall be taught from early stage, like you know. Entrepreneurship, career, enhancement, soft skill, emotional intelligence, mental health. Yeah, she should be to see whether engineer or non engineer For all of them. I'm gonna put all his link in the show note. The website of the link, where is social media and everything. Just go to the show notes, everything is there. It I think the show note is like Tol- career www.kareeltoolkit.com and the social media will be there in the social media world so guys, do you, do you like this episode? we'll get a bit more and more guests will be coming hopefully next time so please leave us a review in Apple or Botchaser or whatever podcasting platform we are using. Thank you guys and take care and wish you good luck. Bye. It was nice to meet you and remember guy. We're raised by sharing the knowledge to everyone. Sharing is caring. It was nice to meet you guys and wishing you the best. Take care guys and wishing you the best.
1: You
2: guys have a good good day and good night. Thank you.